0: This text is the text for this morning's sermon, the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. You You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it, that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or by the throne of God or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace,
1: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to go on a journey this morning based on Jesus' words, a journey pursuing perfect love. The story of perfect love has a background into which Jesus speaks his words today because perfect love was in the beginning. In the beginning, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect intimacy and in perfect love, one for the other. And the Father sends his Son out of his perfect love and creates worlds. And as creation comes into being, God creates from his perfect love perfect relationships, light and dark, land and sea, plant and animal, Human beings, the crown of creation, on all of the creatures which they steward. God creates out of perfect love. This world existed to be perfectly loved and to be perfectly loving. And we messed it up. Adam took the fruit, and when he sinks his teeth into that fruit, the the poison of tainted love infects every relationship in all of creation. And that, that tainted love, we see that love being twisted and contorted, even in the first few chapters of Genesis, and it only gets more and more twisted and contorted from those days on. And then Jesus speaks into this world of twisted love and addresses these hideous aspects of twisted love because in this creation, it's not just the absence of love that Jesus is fighting, the absence of love, which is apathy. It's love that is twisted and contorted into something even more hideous than love being absence. Things like murder and adultery first, Jesus deals with murder. And I don't know what your experience was when you're hearing the text of Jesus come over your ears again today. But, but my experience reading this text again was to wonder why Jesus deals with murder in this way. As if looking out into the world and seeing people take other people's lives isn't enough to just address that, just take a little step in that direction. Because if we look around at our world, there's plenty of murder to be had. But it seems like Jesus is almost trivializing this commandment. To to make it about something so much less significant, To make it seem like if I'm pulling up on the traffic light and somebody else stops at a yellow when I know we could have both gotten through and now I'm angry at that person, does Jesus really expect me to believe that now I'm as guilty as a serial killer or a shooter who's torn families into pieces? My anger seems pretty innocent in the scope of this world. My wife and I watched a Netflix series, not one that I would really recommend, but there's this one character in this series who's a very angry individual. It's almost comical because she's also kind of a successful real estate agent in Laguna Beach and so she'll have these real estate appointments and she'll be kind of headbanging in her car to some screamo music and then get out and walk somebody through a very nice posh looking house. But she deals with anger throughout the entire series. And this anger has a reason. It's because she loved her husband. And her husband was taken away from her in a hit-and-run accident. And she deals with that anger. And she expresses that anger in, in little ways throughout the series. Expresses it sometimes a little bit more, and sometimes a little bit more. And sometimes that anger comes out in a string of insults while she's sitting in traffic about somebody she doesn't know. And then a little bit later, that anger starts to come out in strings of insults with people she does know. And a little bit later, that anger begins to find its target on certain individuals. And a little bit anger, those insults grow. And become more than just typical insults, but the kind of insults that dismiss the humanity of other people as if they were worthless. And that anger kind of comes to a head at one point in the series. She's having a war of words with another character, somebody who's kind of... The point of her anger and as they're hurling words, insults back at each other, treating each other like their humanity is worth nothing, as he turns to walk away, his words being shared, in her rage she grabs whatever she can and hits him in the back of the head and he falls unconscious into the pool and in her panicked rage she does nothing about it. And while there's a dead body floating in the pool, it makes me wonder if our anger is really all that innocent. See, Jesus presents to us this morning a progression. And it doesn't matter if we can slow ourselves down enough, if we can pump the brakes enough to stop at anger or insults or treating other human beings like they're worthless. What matters is that we are on this slope. We are on this slope that ends in murder and even further that ends in hell. Jesus is pointing out to us this twisted love. This love of things that wants to remove everything else in its way, that wants to call other human beings worthless as they as they stand on the side of the road just asking for our help and we avoid eye contact and try to pretend like they don't exist. Jesus is challenging this form of twisted love. He gives us the antidote to anger. He, he tells us how to deal with this, how to turn the train around, and it's that big word, reconciliation. That church word, reconciliation, because so often, Our sermons end in that word of reconciliation that Jesus accomplishes between us and God. But today, Jesus isn't concerned with that. He's not concerned with us being reconciled with God, but he's concerned with us actually dealing with our anger rather than trying to find ways to express our anger or find ways just to repress our anger. He encourages us to actually deal with our anger and be reconciled to the people around us. Because in reconciliation that happens on the way, We have to treat other human beings as if their perspective matters. We have to treat other human beings as if they have value. In reconciliation, our anger is not expressed, not repressed, but it is actually dealt with by confessing our sin and receiving forgiveness. Anger's that first form of twisted love that Jesus deals with. That that form of twisted love that tries to remove everything in the path of the one who is the object of that love. And the second form of that twisted love that Jesus deals with is lust. Lust, a form of, of twisted love that might even sometimes express itself in the words he said over divorce but i was going to skip that one because we don't actually have a problem with sex in our society at all so we can move on to oaths and <laughs> or maybe not because our world when we look at love and sex is so confused but god's not confused i I wanted to look and see kind of a little bit of this perspective that that our world has on love. And so I was just looking up, well, what is the definition of love? And I found this in Collins' Dictionary. I thought was kind of interesting. It said, Love is a very strong feeling of affection towards someone who you are romantically or sexually attracted to. Just let that perspective sink in for a minute. A very strong feeling of affection towards someone you are romantically or sexually attracted to. I read that definition and I thought, that sounds pretty close to what I would think of as lust. This just feeling of affection towards something that is pleasing. This is certainly not the perfect love out of which God created the entire world. But as Jesus deals with adultery, he deals with lust. He deals with a love that doesn't count other people as worthless, but counts other human beings as if they are an object of our own happiness. Or even more crassly, just an object of our own pleasure. Jesus unpacks this commandment by saying that anybody who looks at a woman with lustful intent is already guilty of adultery. Love is twisted. And the amazing thing that sometimes we miss in our world is that love can even be twisted and contorted in a happily married couple as as one spouse sees the other spouse as the one who makes them happy, as the one who fulfills them. And even though that can be pretty, it's love slightly twisted. And over time it can kind of become more twisted almost imperceptibly more and more twisted until the initial love that saw the other person as a source of happiness now sees them as a source of annoyance and that love can become contorted not to mention looking at others with lustful intent Not to mention the relationship being removed from this lustful intent. Not to mention the experience of pornography that we have in our world and all of the confusion that we have around sexuality. This love through lust can become so twisted and contorted it's hardly recognizable anymore. And Sometimes when we look at our lives, our love is so twisted and contorted, we wonder if we could even be loved. And yet Jesus loves you with perfect love. From the beginning, Jesus loves his creation with perfect love. And even now, even as far as we've come, Jesus still loves you with perfect love. And he shows us the antidote for lust, which is this kind of self-sacrificial love that Jesus took on himself, right? Not just cutting off a hand, not just gouging out an eye, but if we were actually going to deal with the causes of our own sin, we could cut all of our arms and legs off and we'd still be sinners, Now, if we were really going to take Jesus' commandment seriously, you'd have to find that guy from Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom who rips people's hearts out of their chest. And as he rips your heart out of your chest, then you could take Jesus seriously. Because it's our entire lives that cause us to sin, it's our heart condition. We need a heart transplant. And Jesus loves us with a perfect, self-sacrificial love that actually gives us, that actually welcomes us into this heart transplant. As he goes to the cross, as he gives up his entire life, he shows us perfect love. He loves us with perfect love. And then he invites us into that experience. Maybe you've heard those words before, or do you not know, brothers, that those of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we actually don't just cut off our hand or cut out our eye, but we drown our entire selves in baptism. Baptism. And it's not just a one-time thing but every time we confess our sins we drown ourselves and come back to life with Jesus we live that self we reflect that self-sacrificial love that Jesus had for us as we remember our baptisms Jesus loved you with perfect love So that you would throw off this twisted love that gets angry every time something stands in the way of the object of our love. And we would throw off this twisted love that treats other human beings as if they can be commodified in one way or another. Jesus loves you with perfect love so that you would be perfectly loving. And I know most of you have probably heard sermons on the Sermon on the Mount before. And and when we hear sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, we hear this lofty goal of our Christian ethics that is really impossible for us to accomplish. And then we hear a preacher say, well, it's okay, don't worry about it, Jesus accomplished it for you. And although that's true, it's really a reduction of what Jesus is trying to accomplish in the Sermon on the Mount. Because yes, Jesus did express his love perfectly. He lived according to the ethics he presents in the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. He showed us perfect righteousness. But this sermon was never really about what we're supposed to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven. The sermon's about who we are and how we live. And we have to enter into this sermon through the doorway that Jesus gives us when he begins his sermon saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And if you didn't start out poor in spirit, I hope that after you heard Jesus' words, now you're poor in spirit because we recognize that we can accomplish this on our own. But Jesus calls us poor in spirit and for those who are poor in spirit, For those who cling to Jesus as their righteousness, he says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The sermon's about who? It's about the citizens of God's kingdom. And this is how the citizens of God's kingdom live. And Jesus, who is the only perfect citizen of God's kingdom that has walked this earth, Jesus shows us that perfect love, but then he invites us into that perfect love so that we wouldn't just throw our hands up and say, well, I can't accomplish it, but so that we would trust Jesus who has accomplished it and trust his words as he tells us that those who are poor in spirit will become all of these things. And maybe it won't ever happen on this end of the resurrection, but when Jesus returns and stands on the earth again, you will be perfectly loved just as you are perfectly loved now, and you will be perfectly loving. Perfectly loving others, perfectly loving God, anger and lust will find no home in that kingdom that Jesus is presenting to us. Yes, Jesus accomplished righteousness for you. But he calls you into that same righteousness. And we long for the day when we become what Jesus promises we will be. And that is those who are perfectly loved and perfectly loving. And until that day, we rest in the fact that Jesus has given his entire self to prove to us that we are perfectly loved citizens of his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.